welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. This is Jay Dostal, and I am so excited to have uh, this guest on the podcast today. Uh, made a trip all the way from Nebraska to Arkansas, uh, but uh, he is an outstanding educator, and I'm just excited for everybody to hear his story. So uh, we're going to get this started with, uh, you know, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Hi, well, thank you for having me on. My name is Rowan Howard. I'm an eighth grade history teacher from Horizon Middle School in Kearney, Nebraska. Great. So how long have you been teaching, Rowan? Uh, this is your number 20. 20? Yes. How's that going for you? Us uh, going great. I love it. It's, it's still a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's been quite the journey. Uh, I've learned lots along the way, trying to get better and better each, each year. But it's, it's still the best job in the world. How did you come about uh, going into middle school? You know, this, I'm a high school guy, so I'm always interested in hearing the stories of how people pick the particular areas and the, the age of the kids that they teach. That's a good question. I actually did not want to teach middle school, absolutely at all. I student taught in Amherst, Nebraska, so a little town, and it was 7-12. And the eighth graders were by far my least favorite class to teach. I felt no joy at all. It, was, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't very fun. I uh, loved high school. loved the junior, senior, so much fun. Uh, but there weren't a lot of social studies jobs around the Kearney area. And uh, there was an opening at Hastings Middle School. And my, my ex-wife at the time, or my current ex-wife, but anyway, my wife at the time, she's like, hey, you should apply for this job. And I'm like, okay, I will. And I didn't want to, but when I went to this interview, uh, I pulled up and outside there was hundreds of middle school kids outside and they were, they had the Civil War Day and they had Civil War reenactors, they had cannons going off, they were teaching kids how to march, they had medical stations teaching how to amputate body parts. I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen my whole entire life. And I went to the interview and I fell in love at that moment. Did you kill the interview? I, I, I think I, I did all right. I, I got the job, so there it, you was, go. it was all right. <laughs> Well, Rowan, uh, you and I talked a little bit about this uh, in, uh, in leading up to this podcast, but uh, the whole point of this podcast is to uh, amplify and share the voices and stories of educators who are in the field. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. You obviously had my daughter uh, uh, when she was in uh, middle school, and uh, you know, one of her favorite teachers always came home, was very excited uh, about what she learned in your class and the relationship she built with you. And so I thought this is a perfect opportunity to have uh, someone that I know uh, on the podcast just to um, kind of share, uh, share their story. And so what I want to ask you first is uh, who, who are the people who have been like the biggest influence on your life? Um, you know, I guess lots of influences. You, you I think of it as kind of like being a, a turtle on a fence post. You know, you don't get to where you are in life unless somebody helps you out. And I've had so much from my, from both my parents, uh, things that they've done and have taught me. My grandparents, my, my brother has been like a bedrock of, of support throughout my whole entire life. Um, but when I think about teaching influences, 
you know, when I was an, uh, when I was a child, I had cancer, and I missed my whole second grade year uh, going through chemotherapy. And I had a teacher named Mrs. Wickham, and she would come to my cl my my house, and uh, she would she would teach me. And I, I and I didn't I mean I wasn't like really big into learning back then. I was you know sick all the time. But this lady dedicated her life and sacrificed a lot just to come try to teach this little punk kid you know how to read and write and stuff. And so. I didn't really fully appreciate it back then, but as I've got older and older, I'm like, wow, that was that was an amazing thing she did for me. And like most teachers, like wouldn't do that today. Um, I think of her to start off with. But my biggest influence is probably Sister Anne. And Sister Anne was an, uh, my seventh grade uh, math teacher at Kearney Catholic. And when I moved from Kimball, Nebraska to Kearney, Nebraska, I went from a small town to a big town. And I was in Horizon, the school where I currently teach, for about a week. And I wasn't fitting in socially, emotionally. It was, it was a tough transition for me. And so my mom switched me to Carney Catholic. And the very first day I walk in this algebra class, I, I sit down, kick my feet out, being the cool new guy. And this, this mean old nun walks by and she kicks me in the shins. And she's like, get your feet on your desk. And so I did. And I'm like, wow, I, was, I, was, I just got abused my first day of school here. But, I, but, the lead, but you don't mess with Sister Ann. So like, you know, I just took it, put my feet on the desk and, and I, you know, I got to work. And um, and I didn't like, to, I wasn't like a studious student, you know, I was kind of, I got in trouble a lot. I, I tried, I didn't have, have a lot of love outside of, I, I didn't have a lot of love. And so I try to get attention and love by being the funny guy and being an idiot. And I did a pretty good job of that. But Sister Ann wouldn't put up for that. And so I'd be in detention a lot. And when I was after school in detention, we'd, we'd talk and she liked college basketball. And her convent was in Kentucky. So huge Kentucky fan. And I was one of those kids always like, uh, would like talk trash and always like the opposite of other people do and just to just to cause conflict and argue all the time and so i like michigan you know that was with the fat five right and um so we were arguing about who's better michigan or kentucky and and one day she's like they were they were going to play that night and she said well if michigan wins you know i'll tell you that you're right or admit that i was wrong and i'm like okay and it's like 10 o'clock at night and michigan beat kentucky and my phone rings <laughs> and I answer it in my little high seventh grade voice. I'm like, hello. And she's like, you're right. Click. And that, <laughs> and that was it. And, and I, I, that, was, that was awesome. And at school with, with her, I, I was always kind of good at math, but I didn't like math or really apply myself. And uh, she's one of those people that inspired me to do, to do my best. And I felt true success. And, and what I mean by that is I had this thing where I, she would always call on you if you weren't paying attention, you know, like to call you out in front of everybody, right? To make sure you're on task, and so I would have. If I knew the answer, I would like pretend like I wasn't paying attention. So she called me, and I like shove it in her face. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. And and if I didn't know the answer, I was pretend like I was paying attention, you know. And so, and I think about that moment in those those times. And when I think about it now, it's like I knew she knew. Like I knew she knew what was going on if I was like not paying attention. Like and like the fact is this: she made me look good in front of my peers. And I've experienced success in math in a way I'd never really felt before. She talked me into joining like the math counts team, like as an alternate. But hey, I was still on the math counts team, something I would have never ever done ever. But I but I did it for Sister Anne because I had these like little success moments. And she's somebody that that truly cared about me. And uh, and that so the story of, of Sister Anne, I, I tell that to people. Uh, it's a, a major reason why why I am who I am today and why I became a teacher. So uh, fascinating. So something you said in there that resonated with me is I was that kid in school too. I was 
kind of the troublemaker and both of my parents were teachers and you know I knew where the line was but I was always walking up and crossing over that line just to kind of seek out attention and uh, and that sort of thing how has that uh, based on your experiences and growing up that way and your experiences with sister Ann, how has that helped you in the classroom with maybe kids who were very similar to what you and I were like when we were growing up how, how does that uh, how does that kind of change how you go about reaching them? I think it's uh, more empathy and um, I guess awareness of situations. I, you know, I, I realize that you know, kids are kids and we all behave in ways because of things about our situation, our circumstances. You know, I don't know, there's a famous quote, like, you know, hurt people hurt people. You know, and, and we each have a story and when, when kids make mistakes, you know, I don't think of it as the kid making it. It's it's the the behavior and the child are are, are 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 separate, and and I feel like through my own my own experiences, you know, I, I kind of gravitate towards those kids as well because there are so many times in life where you know I go to school with like bruises on my face or scratches and like nobody ever asked anything, and and if you know if somebody asked something about like I, I probably would have lied about it you know, but the fact that I felt like a lot of people didn't truly care. And so I'm kind of hypersensitive towards, towards those kids. And uh, I feel like I, you know, I try to look out for them and I go out of my way to make those connections with them and, and try to find more about their story and, and make build those relationship connections and try to make learning more, more engaging and, and bring those successes that they can hopefully experience in, the, in my classroom and, and have that carry over to other aspects of their life. So do you feel that, um you can maybe identify some things in kids that maybe other educators don't just because of those experiences? Uh, you know, maybe, I think. Um, I think it's more like I'm, I, I look at through, through, through my lens of, in, my, in my history, and so we each look at, at life differently. And so I think I've, over the years, I've, I've kind of trained my, my, my focus and my lens of how I look at life to maybe look for those things, maybe be more hypersensitive to maybe where other people don't see it. And just, uh, and I guess to be more uh, understandable and have their backs when we talk about students, like in team meetings or, or whatnot. Uh, oh, that's good. Um, let me switch gears a little bit, just to kind of get into a little bit of content. But how did you, you know, out of all the secondary teachers, always have an opportunity to focus, get a hyper focus on a specific content area that they're interested in. How did that come about to you? Um, in well, I, history is just the story aspect. It was, you know, I found it fascinating. And, and growing up, I loved you know the wars. You know, like World War Two got me sucked in originally. You know, the, the guns and the fighting and the, the killing. The, the you know, I, I love I love that aspect of it. And since I liked it so much, I like I read more about it. I watch movies about it, TV shows about it. And then in the classroom, like, I had success in it, and I I was very successful and I was good at it. And we took those. ITBS tests and like I have like a 99 percentile in social studies. I'm like, this is what I'm good at, and and then I had teachers that we would just like read from the book like, all the time, and it was so boring. And I'm like, I could do a better job than this, and so it's kind of like uh, almost like a chip on my shoulder. Like I, you know, I feel like you know I'm I'm worthy. I can I can do this. I can do a good job. I can do a, a better job maybe, and uh, so that's what originally got me into to teaching was how I was, was good at it, I liked it, I was passionate about it. And I, and I liked school too, it was kind of a safe spot for me, even though I, I did get in trouble, but I did get, you know, I experienced like l love and attention from my peers, you know, so I always had 
like a safe spot in school where I can feel good about myself in certain ways. And so I, that's kind of what led me down the, the, the teaching path originally. Well, the reason I, I kind of set you up for that question because that kind of leads into my next question here about you know um, teaching history right now is a very difficult concept because uh, you know we live in a world where you know there are different opinions, and I don't want to turn this into a political thing or anything like that. But you know, uh, you talk about uh, keeping your kids uh, safe and having uh, letting them have an experience and that sort of thing. Um, how uh, how do you go about teaching history in today's society? That's a really good question. I th I think part of it, I, I, one thing I pride myself on is like, keeping my personal politics outside of, of the classroom. Uh, it, it really bothers me like when my kids come home and they say that they're you know high school English teacher. Oh my gosh, you know uh, she's such a big Democrat, such a big Republican. Like I feel like kids should know what their teacher's politics are. You know, that should be separate. We shouldn't indoctrinate our, our kids. Uh, another teacher I teach with, uh, Brian Cashlin, we do, we spend a lot of time talking about, like, uh, well, the presidential election. And this was just like the, the, last, the last election. And he overheard a group, a group of girls talking about, who do you think Mr. Howard voted for? And they, and they were both arguing, they, and they didn't know who I would vote for. And so that, I mean, that comment right there says, you know, I, I'm doing a pretty good job of, of keeping my, my own politics out of it. I want kids to develop their own. I want them to talk, have these discussions with their parents and have, you know, be inspired and want to learn more about the process and find out information for, for, them, for themselves. And how so how do you, a little bit deeper on that, how do you help kids see themselves in history? You know, uh, and I, I mean, I, I go back to a former English teacher, you know, uh, English teachers, we've been dealing with the canon for years. Um, there's not a lot of diversity in, in that curriculum. Uh, there's a lot of, obviously a lot of diversity in, in history, but that maybe doesn't come through a specific textbook that is looking at a, a specific angle. So how do you reach those kids who are in your class who maybe don't see themselves in history? And how do you go about uh, engaging them in the process of understanding, oh, listen, this is important. It may have had a negative impact on your ancestors or whatever, but it's important for you to know this history because as I've always been told, you have to know your history so you don't repeat the history. Right. That's a, that's a great question. When I started out as teaching, it was more like, I can do a better job, I'm gonna make it fun, you know? And so I come up with games and activities, simulations. Anytime we can do history instead of just reading about it, it is always more engaging for students. Um, but as I've gotten better at teaching over the years, you know, I do other things, the things on some of my more, some of my other passions. And the, the whole social emotional aspect of teaching is something that I've become really passionate about. And probably the, the most passionate thing I'm as, a, as an educator right now. But so things, uh, to bring it back to your question, uh, things like we start off every class with gratitude. And every single day we have a, a gratitude journal. And I always try to connect that gratitude to what we're learning in class. And so if um, we were talking about the, you know, the, the Bill of Rights, so it could be like the First Amendment. So what's something you're grateful for involving the First Amendment? If we're talking about um, the, the, the Boston Tea Party, for example, uh, you're trying to connect some ways, and that has to do with maybe a boycott or something. And so um, I try to connect those, those like life lessoning type things and the, the history to what they're going through right now, their own experiences. 
And so and with that as well as we do things called like life lessons. And so we'll learn about, you know, this is a better example, the Boston Tea Party. And when we're done learning about it, we have a spot in their, in their notebook, uh, at the end of their gratitude notebook. Uh, so what's something that we learned about the Boston Tea Party that happened in the 1770s that we can connect to our life today in 2022? And I have a moment, the kids reflect on it silently and they write some things down. And then they stand up and they share it. And, and they can steal each other's life lessons. You know, hey, share, steal wisdom, man, because we're all learning from each other and we make these connections. And then we, we share some of these out loud. And uh, it's really powerful and, and inspiring to see what these kids come up with, you know, because they're, they're eighth graders. And they come up with some pretty insightful stuff. Like, it, it inspires me. Like, wow, that's pretty dang impressive. And so try, just try and connect it and apply it to their lives today. You know, whether it be initially those games or in the activities I do to try to get them hooked into it, but it's really them reflecting on that learning and, and applying it to their lives today. Okay. All right, Roan. So this is kind of the, the big question of, of the podcast. Um, but uh, two very important steps in the Own Your Epic process are to curate and cultivate your story so you can amplify your voice and, uh, and your story. If you had to choose maybe the most important story, or it could be a series of stories uh, that have impacted your life so far, what would it be? You know, one story that's, that's pretty important to me, um, it was one of those, like, you know, be careful what you wish for type things. Um, uh, you know, growing up, I, my, my whole life, like with my, my family, my own securities, I always struggled with, you know, not being good enough or being seen as worthy by other people, always wanting unconditional love. And, um, and so I was wanting to prove myself. And, and, and as a teacher, as I, you know, I was always uh, good, you know, building relationships. I had some charisma in the classroom. And, it re and when I first started, I relied a lot on my charisma. Eventually, I became more like uh, better with the actual science and the art of teaching, and became uh, a better teacher in that aspect. And one goal I always wanted was is to be recognized for your hard work. And, um, and I put a lot of a lot of time and effort in, into teaching, and uh, you know, to my family's sacrifice, lots of times. And uh, one thing I always wanted to do was like to become teacher of the year. And so. Uh, one year, I, 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 I got the Teacher of the Year Award at, at Kearney Public in like 2017. And I, I was super honored, really happy to get it. And, uh, and when, I, when I got it, it was, it was kind of interesting uh, because not a lot of people were very happy for me, it felt like. I, like, I didn't have a lot of my, like some of my, it's one of those things with your friends, like you're, you, you know who they are. Like when things are bent down, they, they have your back. But, but it's different too, like when things are really good for you, like how they, how they help, help you celebrate. And, and there are a lot of people that didn't tell me congratulations that they thought would. It was kind of just a weird kind of, kind of, kind of a, a, it ended up being like a kind of a sad moment in my life and in, in some aspect of it. Um, like, it's like a lot of people, I had like more people tell me from other school, hey, congratulations, you know, you deserved it. And, and so like it, it hurt originally. And then the more I thought about that, you know, as time went on a little bit, it made me realize a lot of things about myself, right? So like about getting validation from other people. Like, you know, my worth is not, as, as a human being, as a teacher, is not necessarily a, by the words of, of affirmation by other, of other people. You know, we plant seeds all the time as educators and we don't know the impact we make and sometimes never at all. And there's so many teachers in my life that have had a big impact on me that I never told them at all. And they made an everything type of impact. But um, but in that time though, like I was, I was probably more like, 
there were, there were times in my life, my teaching career beginning, that was kind of more selfish than the stuff I did. Like, whether it be credit for, I have these good ideas, and um, I, I probably wouldn't be as, as open to share them, because I would maybe subconsciously, or damn, I wouldn't want people stealing my thunder and getting credit, you know? And, and as, as, I've, as times have changed, as, as, I've, as I've changed my outlook on stuff, I realize it's, it's not about me at all. It's about others, and about making other people look good. And I think about Sister Anne and how she made me look good in front of other people. It wasn't about her. It was, a, it was her making me look good. And, and that Teacher of the Year award symbolizes that whole thing for me. Like, it's, like that's not what it's about at all. And the, the fact that I felt bad when, when the people weren't congratulating me or whatever, and, like, it just made me realize how, how my focus at that moment was, like, was, was completely off. And, and now I don't care about that at all. And, and I have this award sitting, like, in the bottom, like, of this little shelf, right? And again, not to brag about it, it's to remind me of, like, dude, what's most important, man? That stuff's not important at all. What matters is, is helping other people and doing your job and, and making other people look good and help them succeed and be the best that they can. And so that's one of those moments, I guess, for me. I, I'm so glad that you shared that because, you know, as you were talking about that, um, it conjured up some feelings that I had when I got a award, when I got a couple of awards. And I almost got that, that imposter syndrome type feel like listen I'm not that good I just am surrounded by some amazing people who make me uh, a better person and uh, you know sometimes it's it's hard um, buying into your own hype and that sort of thing and then when you start buying into your own hype and then people aren't recognizing you're like well hey come on I did I did all these things but none of us truly ever do anything we're not self-made people we have people around us who have made us better just by being in our presence. And so um, I'm really glad you shared that because as, as I think about that story and I continue to think about my journey moving forward, I've come back to those, those particular things. And it's not that um, people aren't happy for you, but I think, uh, and you, I mean, you work with middle school kids all the time. I think adults are just like kids sometimes, you know, they're, they're focused on them and maybe not focused on everything out. And so having those affirmations and giving those affirmations out freely is sometimes very difficult to do. But as an educator, we also know that they are so important to the development of our kids that we also need to extend that same grace to the adults in our lives as well, just to positively affirm them on a regular basis because you never know what word is going to make your day or break your day. So that's so cool. all right, I got, uh, just it's a, it's a big question, but uh, you obviously have have been in the classroom the, for twenty years. Um, these last couple years have been excruciatingly difficult. Um, you know, I've seen it from an administrative level, and my job as a principal is really uh, making sure that I can provide support and uh, resources for my teachers, who can then uh, provide that same support for their students. And so what I wanted to ask you was, you know, we have uh, have a situation right now where we have a lot of people who are leaving the profession and we don't have a lot of people who are coming in to the profession. And I think one of the advantages of having a podcast like this when we can talk with someone who has been in the profession for as long as you have is what keeps you going? What what is preventing you from leaving the profession? What is uh, what's what's. What's that advice that you would give 
our listeners who are listening to this, like who may be thinking about, you know what, it's just not worth it, and I need to leave. What what is keeping you in the game? That's a, an excellent question. And what keeps me in the game is is the impact I make for other people and and to, to help others, other people. And it's it's where like I started in is being like. Because I was good in history, and I can do a, I could do a good job, and like I can, I can I am worthy of this stuff. I can you know all these things that come about about me originally. And again, I I love kids, and it was never like I was always like we wanted to help kids, right? But but my focus wasn't always. I mean, it was it was on other things, right? And and as as my passion now is isn't history. Like I love history. It's fun. It's stories. They all love stories, right? But it's it's about helping kids, and that social emotional aspect is so critical. And when I look at my own life, and the, the path that I've and the journey that I've had, and and my lack of social emotional like, uh, I guess experience of, and knowledge and well being at times, and the, the and the, the impact that had on me, I so I I do a lot of stuff to to go with those passions in classrooms. So I talked about the gratitude stuff and like the life lesson things. But the best thing that I've ever done in the classroom is we, it's called student appreciation. And um, I actually got this, this idea uh, talking f- from my, at that time, wife. She was going through some, some issues with alcoholism. And they had this thing called the hot seat she told me about. And so somebody in the AA group, they would stand in fr- sit in front. And then everybody in the group would say, like, brutal, honest things about what they like or things that they did well, things they need to improve on, right? And she told me the story and how those how they're so vulnerable in front of that group and that vulnerability aspect to it. And I'm like, hmm, that's really interesting. How can I apply that in my classroom? And so I started this thing called student appreciation. And so what we do is we pick a student every week, random. I have this, this, these two dice this kid made me called the dice of destiny. And so I roll the dice of destiny, and then we count numbers, and whatever student lands on, that's the student of the week. And I give every student a note card. And it's to give them the sentence starter. So it would be like, uh, Jay, I appreciate how you dot, dot, dot. And so everybody writes a sentence starter, and then everybody fills in the rest. And I spent a lot of time pitching it about, hey, what the benefits, hey, we all have this need to be appreciated. Um, you know, as middle school kids, and it's all human beings, we, we always worry what other people think. We all have these insecurities. And lots of th- we always assume people think the worst about us, when in reality, it's, it's far from that. And, um, and I, so I talk about, you know, what it mean, like specific, writing specific things, authentic things, you know, things to build each other up. And so we practice this type of, 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 these, of these experiences. And so they write down things they appreciate about that student. And I collect all those note cards and I type them to a letter. And then at the end of the week, uh, I have that student stand up in front of the class and they you can either read the letter themselves or usually they have me read it. I'll read the letter out loud. So they stand there in front of their peers and, they, and we read all the nice things other students think about them. And as a teacher, though, it's a, it's a, it's it's a it's time consuming for me, and but it's a labor of love. And when I read the stuff that other kids write about each other, things that they would never ever say face to face, some of the most authentic, heartwarming, heartbreaking, beautiful things ever. I mean, that's the type of stuff that keeps me going. And when you see that kid in the front of the classroom, and you you read what other people write, and you see their expressions and their mannerisms and their body language change and, and soften and melt. It's the most beautiful thing ever. And then when, when they go through that experience, the stuff they write about their other peers, like it's, it's amazing how it just spirals and keeps going and going. And um, 
I used to, when I first few years, like first three or four years of doing this, I kept like statistics. I, I was, I was just kind of curious what kids thought. So every year I give uh, like surveys, like what do I do well? What can I improve on? And I ask specific questions about the student appreciation. And, and for those first three or four years, however long it was, every single kid, 100% of the kids said they, they liked it, they found value in it, and they should keep doing it. Now, middle school kids, too, like they're really protective of, of, of our time together, and they, like, they don't want those stupid seventh graders doing the stuff that we do, because that's special, right? But every single one, like every single one, 100%. And that's the, the toughest kids, the kids that don't want to be at school, your straight A kids. I mean, every single kid said that they like that activity and we should keep doing it. The most amazing thing ever. And so I eventually stopped asking that question because like, I mean, I, I know it works. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And every kid, I, I go to graduations and I see these letters at graduations. Uh, kids talk to me like, you keep doing that, right, Mr. Howard? I'm like, oh yeah. And like, you, you gotta keep, and so they tell me to keep doing it. It's just, it's a really beautiful and amazing thing. That is fascinating. Um, reminds me of a, a project uh, when I was in Kearney. We actually did something at the high school where I had every teacher um, find that one kid, just one kid, and tell them why they're the reason they come to work every day and they had to video them. Not them, video the kid. And uh, had all these teachers send these videos back and as I'm putting together this video, uh, this compilation of all these things, the look on the kid's face just over and over and over again. The, pa the power of somebody, an adult, saying to a kid, hey, because of you, I love coming to work every day. And I can see that happening in your class when you're reading these letters. That is so powerful because those kids might not get that affirmation from anywhere else. That might be the one time they actually get it. So that is so very powerful. Uh, last question before we go here, but because uh, I'm always on the process of uh, continuing to learn and grow, but what do you need as a teacher? What do you need from your leaders to get through a day, to um, get us through this really difficult time? And teaching? what what do you what what do you what would your, the ideal leader be doing for you to support you in this profession? You know, I'm lucky. I've been lucky enough to be blessed to work with some really awesome administrators. And 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 the coolest thing is, like, one of the best qualities is they they don't say no to me. When I have ideas, I feel like they trust me. I've earned some trust over the years, and so they always they always say yes to my ideas, which is really great. And uh, I've luckily I haven't burned that trust or abused that yet, and so they haven't had to say no for me for anything. And so, you know, things like me, I want to, you know, start more of a chess club and have these tournaments against the, the rival middle school and take kids to other tournaments for chess, like in, in Hastings. And so, you know, having support that way to, to be creative and, and to, to try these things and to, to, to put myself in position to fail, but to know that I'm going to have support no matter what, even if I do fail and I can try again, is, is, is pretty inspiring and, and, and I appreciate that support a lot. I think more in you know, today's times too, some of the people I work with, I, I know a lot of it is kind of understanding. It's like we're all in the, in the same boat. And even though, even though, it's, it, they're, even though they're words, just those, you know, those affirmations, hey, you know what, you're doing a good job. Keep up the good work. You're making a difference. And I, mean, I think that, that goes a long way as, as well too. That's awesome. Rowan, we're at uh, 30 minutes here, which is kind of the uh, the breaking time of of the podcast. But uh, you know, 
thank you for spending some time with me and talking about and sharing your voice and your story because again this is the whole point of this podcast even with uh, my dog running around and sniffing at us and barking in the background so for the listeners who heard that I apologize Winston's just being a little pill right now um, but dude you are a you're a rock star and I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to uh, sit down and talk with you uh, and get to know you a little bit more about your story and I think that it will resonate with a lot of other people because I think that through our uh, shared experiences we can find relevance that uh, that we can see ourselves in that and that's part of the reason why connect is my one word for 2022 uh, I feel like we've lost a lot of this connection and just being able to sit down and talk with one another and really see ourselves in the stories that that we tell now outside the fact that you are bald with a beard much like I am as well which by the way I got to get you one of those stickers on there but uh, this is uh, this has been so awesome and thank you thank you thank you very much for uh, for participating any final words you got no thank you very much for having me and keep fighting the good fight awesome well, folks, that ends this uh, episode of the Own, Own Your Epic podcast. Uh, you can check out uh, more on my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, and hope you all have a good one. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.